Let's pray together and pray that uh, God does exactly that today. Amen? Amen. That he lights a fire in us for the salvation of the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, that's why we're here. God, we're here to refresh. We're here to renew. We're here to be strengthened. We're here to hear from you. But at the end of the day, God, we know we go out under the name of Jesus to go out into our, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, little league fields, soccer fields. We go out to our campuses. And God, our prayer is for the sake of the world. God, that's why we're here. You've called us to unleash a movement. You've said go into all the world, share the message of Jesus, recruit followers, baptize them, teach them how to obey everything I told you. Prepare for my coming. When I come again to turn all wrongs to right. God, you've told us in your word that it's not your will that anyone should be lost, and that's why you're delaying that return. And so, Lord, we just pray. God, we pray for our families, those who don't know you, for our one lives that we've been praying for these last couple years that don't know you. We pray for those people at work that don't know you or on our neighborhood. God, we just pray that for the sake of the world, you would light a fire in us that just the most appropriate ways at the right time, being led by your spirit, we would give witness. We would invite, share the, the message of Jesus, come and see with those who so desperately need a savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. We pray it together and God's people said, amen. All right. <laughs> Hey, uh, welcome to church. Good to see you. And you're going to have a seat. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, several things to share with you as normal as before we go into our, our time of teaching. Uh, first of all, uh, this is Life Group, uh, Life Group Sign Up Weekend. And so uh, a lot of you know this, but Life Groups are the hub of everything we do here at Rocky Peak. They're the core of our church. As I shared last weekend, it's kind of 88% this year of our weekend attendance has been in life groups. So if you're new, this is the very best way to get plugged in, get connected. And we only have one session left in the school year, and then we'll take the summer off. And so if you're new, you definitely want to jump in now and get some connection going before uh, the summer hits. And so uh, kind of looking forward to that. So uh, sign-up started on Friday. We've got 120 groups meeting uh, throughout the four valleys we serve. Of those 120, as of Friday, I don't know what it is now, but there were 67 with openings. And so for different stations in life, different, uh, different needs, men's groups, women's group, all kinds of different things. And so uh, you can check inside your program is a, a beige colored sheet that lists all the groups that at least started the weekend had openings. And then right after service tonight, and you've got a tremendous advantage over the late Sunday morning people, uh, you can head on out to the patio. They'll just tell them what you need. They'll help you find the right group for you. Okay, so that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, Easter's coming up. In fact, yeah. uh, Easter is just three weeks from this weekend. And inside your program, if you look out there, if you, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a card that looks like this. Uh, that's our, our Easter invite card. And so we want to start uh, targeting people that you'd love to see here. We want to be praying for people that you've been praying for, your one life. This is like one of the best times of the year to invite someone. It's most likely time. I'm doing a special message called Unlocked. 
Uh, and so we're going to talk about how the resurrection of Jesus unlocks our past, our present, and our future. And so uh, it's going to be a great message for, for non-believers as well as believers. And so um, you'll notice on the back there's the service times of, uh, of uh, four, uh, the, uh, Saturday night, 4 o'clock and 6, uh, Sunday morning, uh, 8.45, I mean 8 o'clock, uh, 9.45, and 11.30. Now, like I said last weekend, here's what we'd ask. If you're regularly a Saturday night person, you just stay on Saturday night. Unless, here's the exception, if there's someone that you're inviting, you bring them the very best service. You know, nine, whatever they want to come, whenever they get them here, uh, they want to come at 8 in the morning, you come at 8 in the morning. Uh, you know, whatever it is, that's a sacrifice for Jesus' sake. Uh, anyway, uh, otherwise, stay here on Saturday. We don't care if it's 4 o'clock or 6, take your, your pick, all right? We're going to try to create space in our services for all the visitors we have. And then finally, uh, next weekend kicks off our water fast, our beverage fast. A lot of you know this, every year, the last three or four years, we have done an initiative for the poor. What we do is we've, we've made a commitment as a church that we will only drink water for one week. So no other beverages. And then we save up all the money we would have spent uh, and we, we, um, we, we uh, dig wells in Africa for people who don't have fresh water and as a result are suffering uh, greatly. Two billion people in the world don't have water today, fresh water, and a lot of sickness and so on. And so we're partnering with churches over there. In fact, I mentioned uh, we just had a team come back from Liberia. They got to see several of the, you know, the water wells that we did last year. Now, this was amazing. I talked to Brian Moorhead, who's our pastor over Global Ministries this week. I thought that when we, when we planned this last year, we thought we were going to be able to dig 10 to 15 wells. Last year we raised $30,000. We actually dug or redug 37 wells this year because of that. And, uh, and we've got some pictures coming up because they actually got over to go and see these wells. And so you got here, I don't know if you can tell, but uh, there's one of the wells. That's kind of what it looks like. We'll keep the pictures going here. Uh, so there's Brian drinking from one of our wells. Uh, you see, here's several more. So I don't know, we got three or four pictures. Keep going. There you go. There's Chris Wozniki uh, talking about wells. And uh, <laughs> all right, and that's, we've lost the well pictures, I think. All right, so we're done. Uh, anyway, so it's, it's really making a difference uh, in the lives of people over there. So we're going to be, that starts next weekend. For, so for you, it'll be starting next sun, uh, Saturday night. When you come, uh, make sure before you come, get your last Starbucks. Because Saturday night, we all go on the wagon. And so we are now on the water wagon, and we will pass out these blue bands that will help you as people say, hey, what's the band about? Hey, here's the situation. Two billion people in the world. Here's what we're doing as a church to help. It's just a great conversation starter uh, in a positive way to just help plant seeds for the gospel. So uh, that's happening next weekend. All right, so a lot happening next weekend uh, as we get ready for, uh, for Easter and for April and all that's going on, right? All right, so uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching in just a minute, but um, I've got, uh, I want to give you a chance to stretch uh, and, and get my table set up and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, why don't you stand up, say hi, turn your cell phones off, and we'll get ready to go. How is everyone doing tonight? You guys doing well? I'm telling you what, this Saturday night service is becoming like my favorite service all week. It's like, you guys are awake, you're ready to go, you're hungry to, 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 to grow. It's just it's great. So we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. My name uh, is Mike. I mentioned that before, one of the pastors. But uh, inside your program is a message note sheet. It's green and white. We use it every week. So you'll definitely want to take that out uh, to help you follow along. So if you guys are all set, I'm ready to dive in. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here, to be part of your people, part of your movement. We're just excited you've chosen us before the foundations of the earth to know Jesus and to be brought into Jesus. 
Jesus. Uh, in him, through him, uh, all our lives have been changed. We've been forgiven of our past. We have uh, moved into the present with the, the coming of your spirit who leads and guides and teaches us. And then we have this incredible future coming. And so as we look and we talk to you about this, about this future that you have for us, we pray that you just uh, give us great wisdom. Uh, I pray your spirit would be here in power. Be with me as I, I teach. Uh, may I speak with, with power, authority, clarity, humility. I pray that as a church we gather around your word, that we would just listen for what the spirit says to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, today uh, we're continuing this series that we've been in. And if you guys could give me just a little bit more monitor up here, that would be great if, that, if we can do that. Uh, we're, starting, we're continuing this series that we've been in uh, since the beginning of the year uh, called uh, uh, Jesus, uh, the, the Crucified King. And so uh, 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 if you've been here throughout the series, you kind of know this, that this is the, the, the third in a, uh, a trilogy of series on the life and teaching of Jesus as told through the eyes of one of the leaders of the early church, a man named Mark, who is a close friend of the apostle Peter. And so he writes this account of the life and teaching of Jesus based on Peter's firsthand experiences. And so in this third and final series, we've watched as Jesus has come into Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. His disciples don't know this. Uh, and, and so he's begun to reveal his true identity as the king of Israel, the great Messiah that's been promised in some very new, bold, provocative ways. Uh, but as he does this, it's bringing him into increasing conflict with the, the, the religious and political leaders of his day who see him as a threat to their authority. So all week long, he's been teaching in the massive temple compound. Uh, every day they're sending delegations of different kinds of spiritual leaders to undercut him to ask him very tough questions that uh, are designed like a hostile press conference to get him to say something that would get him in trouble with the people or get him in trouble with the Roman authorities so they could bring him up on charges. And so today, Jesus is leaving the temple for the last time. So we don't know exactly. It's probably Wednesday, maybe Thursday. Uh, remember, he's going to be arrested late Thursday night or Friday morning. And so it's coming to the very end. And uh, Jesus is leaving the temple for the last time. It's the last time we're going to see him. Uh, the nation has basically uh, rejected him, especially the, the leaders have rejected him. And, and so he's, he's kind of leaving. It's more than just a physical leaving. It's a spiritual leaving. Uh, we're entering into a, a transition time in human history where God is no longer going to be dwelling in a temple in Jerusalem. He's going to be dwelling in the lives of his followers. And we're kind of entering in that transition zone. And so as he leaves that day, uh, one of his men is going to make a comment about the temple complex. Now, if you've been here throughout this series, we've talked about this quite a bit, but I like to always add a little bit more to help you picture this temple complex. The temple complex was one of the wonders of the ancient world. I've mentioned before, three football fields long on one side, five football fields on the other. Uh, it is surrounded by massive stone walls. It's essentially a military fortress. Inside of those walls, is the square footage of 12 football fields. I'm using football to keep all you NFL fans with me right now. <laughs> the circumference, if you were to go around the, the kind of perimeter of the complex, almost a mile around, uh, it covered one-sixth of the city's square footage at the time of Jesus. When I was there in January... You can go underneath the, the city there by the Wailing Wall that's part of this original, the foundation, temple foundation. You can go underneath the city. And you go underneath the city, you see some of the massive stones 
that were used to construct the platform that King Herod built to put the temple complex on top. He basically took a mountain and extended the mountain out, these huge retaining walls built a huge platform. One of these uh, stones that I was there and got to see, catch this, is 40 feet long. 11 feet tall, twice my height, and 14 feet deep. It weighs 580 tons. It's more, it weighs more than a million pounds. When I talk about architectural feats, this is just one of the hundreds and thousands of stones. The, the historian Josephus tells us who, is, who saw this, who was there at the time, he tells us that the temple itself, remember the temple complex is like this huge surrounded uh, kind of, you know, plaza or whatever. The temple in the middle, he tells us the stones in the temple itself were bigger than that. They were, they were cut out of white quarried stone, each beautifully dressed. The temple itself was 150 feet tall. That is 12 to 15 stories tall. And it was covered with, on, the to, on the top with gold. We're told that as you approach Jerusalem, it's the highest thing by far in the city. As you approach from a distance, it looked like a snow-capped mountain glistening in the sunlight. And so as they're going to go out, as they're leaving the temple for the very last time today, one of his men is going to say to him, Jesus, incredible. This place is incredible. I mean, these, these, are, these are like the country boys. They're from Galilee. Like, we don't have anything like this in Galilee. And they're like, Jesus, this is, this is amazing. And they're expecting Jesus to say, oh, it is. Remember for the Jew, the temple is the place where heaven meets earth. It is the center of the cosmos. It is the place where God dwells. It's a place where God reveals. And so he says, he's going to say, Jesus, this place is amazing. And what he expects is Jesus to say, yes, it is. But what he says is going to shock him. And it's going to lead to some more questions later in the day. So have your Bibles. Let's open up to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, we're, we're breaking into a new chapter, which is historic, I know. Uh, I'm hoping to be done by August. Um, it's my goal. Keep it under two years, Mike. Uh, all right, so uh, Mark chapter 13. As they're leaving the temple, one of his disciples, we don't know which one, he said to him, look, teacher, look, rabbi, what massive stones. Now, I just told you how big the stones were. So now, now you're like, okay, now I get it, uh, right? It, over a million tons. Uh, I just, you know, just think of that. that you know, uh, the uh, archaeologists today believe that probably there was a, a stone quarry not, uh, not very far from Jerusalem. A lot of them believe, a lot of archaeologists believe what happened is that they would just cut these stones and then they just roll them into place when they were building this thing. Um, and so he says, uh, look, you know, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And of course, in that temple complex, there's lots of buildings. Not just a temple, there's lots of buildings. And, uh, and so they're, they're expecting Jesus to go, oh, you're right. This place, heaven meets earth. I mean, this is you know, amazing, right? That's what they're expecting. It's not what they got. And Jesus says, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one 
will be thrown down. Now, I want you to picture this. This is like a military fortress. We've described how big, a mile around. And Jesus is making an amazing prophecy. This place, it's one of the wonders of the ancient world. I mean, how do you take a, 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 a stone that weighs over a million pounds and just throw it down? This is no, you know, like this is no small feat. And, and, and but on top of it, this is the place where heaven meets earth. This is God's place. God's gonna protect this place. And, and so, This is an amazing prophecy. And guess what? It was fulfilled 40 years later. That in the year 66 AD, the nation of Israel rebelled against Rome. They went to war with Rome. Probably not such a bright idea. But they thought, you know, God was in it. So they they fought against Rome, and it led to a seven-year war. And at the four-year mark, the Roman troops are, that are kind of going throughout Israel, they've been besieging the city of Jerusalem. Inside, people are eating their kids during the siege. It's just horrible stuff. The last place of defense was the temple. The temple had three walls, and they, they, they kind of kept fighting back in. And finally, they broke through, and they slaughtered the Jews. And the Roman general Titus, who is, uh, who is leading several legions against them, the Roman generals said, we are tearing down this temple because so much of the rebellion comes from this, relation, this weird God they have, right? This, this kind of Jewish God. We are tearing down this temple stone by stone. Never again will the Jews come against us in the name of their God. And so they did. So in 70 AD, it was decimated, something that would have been very hard to predict how it would happen when Jesus said it. Now, of course, this raises some questions in their minds. And here's what I want you to catch. We need to right now take off our 21st century Christ follower hats. If you're a longtime believer, you know this passage that we're starting into, uh, Matthew, Mark 13, it's parallel passage, Matthew 24, the parallel passage, Luke 21, about the destruction of Jerusalem, the coming of Jesus at the end of time, it's, they're very famous passages. And as you read it today, our natural tendency is to read it as 21st century Christ followers, right? We need to stop. So, so we know this. We know that within 24 hours, Jesus can be arrested and executed. We know that in three days, he's going to rise from the dead. We know that 40 days later, he's going to ascend into heaven. We know that 10 days later, the Holy Spirit's going to come. We know then the, the, Roman, uh, the, the movement of Jesus, the gospel, is going to spread throughout the, the whole world, and it's going to head up to, uh, to, to, uh, to Rome. Uh, and, and, so we, we, and then we know that it's, going to be, it's been over 2,000 years. He still hasn't come back. We know that. They didn't know that. In their mind, as good Jews, here was their theory of end times. Messiah comes. He's about to unleash his power on Rome. A war is about to get, begin. Messiah is going to go against his enemies. His enemies are going to come against Jerusalem. His Jerusalem are going to destroy much of the city as prophesied. And the Messiah is going to destroy them. Many of the rabbis of his day were teaching that the current temple would be dismantled, but that when the Messiah comes, he'll build a new temple. Are you with me? This is their mindset. And so later in the day, they're on the Mount of Olives. Now, we call it the Mount of Olives. In California, it would not be called a mountain. Like maybe in New Jersey, certainly in Kansas, it'd be a mountain. 
To us, it's a hill. Some of you are familiar with our property that we own here, that across the way, across Santa Susana Pass, there's a, a mountain there. It's called Rock Ridge, we call it. The Mount of Olives is about like that. And if you're on top of that hill and you were looking down at Rocky Peak, it would be about the distance that they were looking down. So later in the day, they go outside the city walls, they go down the Kidron Valley, they go up the Mount of Olives. It's only about 300 feet above sea level, you know, above Jerusalem. And they're, they're up there and they're looking down. And what they would have seen is they would have seen the huge temple complex, right? Down about a mile away, 15-story building, shimmering in the sunlight, right? And so, so they're right there. And, they're, and, and four of Jesus' men, uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, interestingly, the same two sets of brothers that the Gospel of, of uh, Mark starts with, where Jesus calls them in the Sea of Galilee, they're, they're sitting with you. And, and what's going to happen is they're going to ask you, when Jesus made the comment, this place is coming down, probably very public comment, which is very interesting because in his trial, this will be the accusation that was made that they're trying to get him framed on. Uh, but later in the day, the four disciples are going to come to him offline and say, hey, we've got a question about that whole thing. And this is often we see in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus makes some public pronouncement, controversial, and then later in the day, his disciples come and ask him. So they're going to come, and they're going to ask him two questions. Hey, this whole destruction of, the, of Jerusalem, when is that going to happen? And what is the sign it's going to happen? Now remember, in their mindset, the destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of the temple, rise of the Messiah, the war against the enemies, it's all one package deal. And in their mindset, it's about to happen now. Are you with me? That, that uh, Jesus has been trying to tell them for months he's going to be arrested and crucified. They're just not buying it. So let's see what happens. So as he's leaving, verse 1, disciples said, look, what teacher, what massive stones, magnificent buildings. Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone to be left upon. So later in the day then, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, they're opposite the temple. They're looking down. Today, if you're there in Jerusalem, same exact scene. For those of us going to Israel in a couple months, we'll be sitting there on the Mount of Olives. We'll be looking down on Temple Mount, right over the walls. But instead of the temple, it will be the Dome of the Rock, the, the, the Muslim uh, place of worship, that gold dome you always see in the pictures of Jerusalem. So same exact deal. And so as he's sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James, John and Andrew, they ask him privately offline, hey, tell us when will these things happen and what will the sign be that they're about to be fulfilled? When's it going to happen and what's the sign that's going to trigger it? What should we be watching for? That's the question, okay? Now, in the time that we have today, I'm going to unpack the first half of this passage. But before we look at Jesus' answer, for those of you who are longtime Christ followers, you know we are entering into controversial territory. As we enter into the time of the second coming of Jesus, this is one of the things Christians love to fight about. <laughs> well, when's the rapture going to come? Who's the Antichrist? Uh, you know, I think it's Henry Kissinger. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know. Uh, you know, do Christians go through the tribulation? Is there a millennium? You know, what about Israel? What happens to Israel? And is there going to be a national Israel? And what about the heavens and the earth? Are they this earth? Are they get refurbished? Or is it a brand new world? And, and we'll fight about these things. Very controversial. And so before we jump into this passage, it's one of the most controversial passages, not only in Mark, but in the whole Bible. I want to talk a little bit about big picture. What do we know from the Bible about the second coming? And then secondly, and this is very important, as followers of Jesus, 
When we come to topics like this that are controversial, how should we handle them? Because I, I, honestly, I, I'm more concerned about that than the details, right? Okay, so, so, if you, so if you have there, there in your note sheet, there's a section called The Second Coming, What We Know, and I wanna start with some of the basics, kinda of walk you through, frame it up, and then we'll come back and we'll walk through the passage. So number one, the first thing we know is that Jesus is coming back, right? And so you're like, wow, glad I came to church for that. That's just, woo-hoo, this is deep in here. Uh, yeah, we're gonna start with the basics, but I wanna start here because not everyone believes this, believe it or not, but, uh, you know, Jehovah's Witness, I don't really believe this. And so, but then we're going to start, we're going to start with this, that um, Jesus is coming back, that, uh, that in other words, when, 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 when Jesus left, we're told that, uh, that a promise was made that he's coming back, and he's going to come back in the same way he left. So I want you to get that, that Jesus is going to come back, he's going to come back physically, he's going to come back visibly, it's not going to be some secret it's not going to be a different Jesus, right? And so you may remember this scene, but in Acts chapter 1, uh, it's after, you know, Jesus is, is kind of, he's, he's resurrected. He's been with them for 40 days. He's now is going to go back to his father. And so as he's there on, and it's, and it's right outside the Mount of Olives, same place. It's, it's very close to there. He's talking with them, giving final instructions, and then all of a sudden he's just like, okay, well, I guess that's it, boys. Uh, and he just starts to rise up. Now, we are sort of used to this idea. They had never seen this. It's a little weird. Just it, it's kind of levitating up, right? And so, as he's levitating up, he goes up in these clouds, which in the Bible, often the presence of God. Remember the, the nation of Israel covering the cloud and all that kind of, he, he, he disappears. So he's going into the alternate universe we call heaven, right? It's not like it's up there. But you go in the alternate universe, and this is how he leaves, right? So, so they're there, and their mouths are open. Like, oh. And all of a sudden, these two men show up. Turns out, we find out they're angels. And they're like, what are you guys looking at? Like, are you serious? We're looking at a guy rising up in the sky, you know? And I want you to see what happens. Zero, you know, cheat in Acts chapter 1. It says, uh, these, these two angels, they say, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking in the sky? Like, uh, isn't it kind of obvious? I guess that's normal where you come from. Uh, he says, this same Jesus, catch this, circle that, this same Jesus that who has been taken from you in heaven, he'll come back in the circle the same way. As you see him go. And so, so here's what I want you to catch. That th- this becomes like, kind of core biblical teaching. Core, Jesus who left physically, he left visibly, you could see him. He's coming back the same way. It's gonna be visible, it's gonna be personal, it's gonna be physical, it's gonna be Jesus, not someone else. It's not some mystical coming back. It's not gonna be a hidden event. It's not gonna be a secret event. That it's gonna be very public and be physical. And here's what I want you to catch, and that when he comes back, he will turn all wrongs to right. And he will bring the kingdom of God that he started at his first coming, he'll bring the kingdom of God in power at his second coming. And this becomes part of the core teaching of the New Testament. This is what Christ followers throughout the ages have always believed. That Jesus is coming back physically, literally, 
And he's coming back to turn all wrongs to right. And it will be public and it will be visible. And so when we argue, we're not arguing about that. Today we're going to talk about primary teaching in the New Testament and secondary teaching. This is primary teaching. And, and the Bible's very clear on it. And what the New Testament is very clear on is therefore, since this is happening, you need to be living your life today in light of that day. And that's the message you need to over and over again. He's coming back. We're citizens of another place. You need to be living your life today for that day. And that's the message of the New Testament over and over again. And, and that's like core gospel teaching, right? Now, this leads to number two. The second principle goes like this, is the second coming is controversial. I've talked about this, is that as followers of Jesus, this is one of the things we love to fight again about, right? But what I want you to catch is we don't fight about the primary teaching, we fight about secondary details. Now here's what I want you to catch. Um, if you could stand back from church history, what you would see is that from the earliest days of the church, the early church fathers on, people who love Jesus, who are very smart and very bright, and who believe in the authority of his word and are filled with his spirit and are godly men and women, have disagreed about the details. Okay? From the very beginning of time. Uh, and so what I want, want to do today is I want to introduce a concept that's very important, not only for this teaching uh, on the second coming, but for all teachings here at Rocky Peak. Okay? And I want to introduce a concept that's very helpful, I think will be very helpful, and that's the difference between primary issues and secondary issues. That in the New Testament, it's very clear there's certain things as Christ followers that make up the gospel. And to be a believer in Jesus, you need to embrace that message of gospel. So what would some of those things be? Well, like who God is, who Jesus is, uh, our path to God, the, uh, the plan of salvation, the authority of God's word, uh, the core moral code of the New Testament. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Core moral code of the New Testament. Very often it said, hey, do not be deceived. Those who do these things will not enter the kingdom of God. Like you can't be off on these things, right? And so, so there's certain things that are primary. And the New Testament is so clear that if someone comes and preaches a different gospel, uh, Paul says, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. Let him be forever damned. He says, uh, if someone comes with a different Jesus, you can't buy in. This is the gospel. This is what you believed. By this you were saved if you continue in it. Right? So there's certain primary things that Christians believe that are core to the gospel that we can never compromise on. Right? And then there are secondary issues. Things of secondary importance. Now when I say secondary, I don't mean they're unimportant. They're just not issues that relate to our salvation. Okay, secondary issues. Baptism, is it immersion or is it sprinkling? Is it infant or is it adult? Communion, how often? Real wine, grape juice, unleavened bread, you know, pita bread. Halloween, should Christians celebrate it? Christmas, you know, homeschool, public school. 
women in ministry. Uh, which version of the Bible? Uh, Christians in politics, right? These are secondary issues. That what I want you to catch is that people who love Jesus and who are very bright and have studied his word in great deal and full of the Holy Spirit, they have disagreed over these issues since Jesus was here. And the New Testament is so clear on these core issues of the gospel, we can never compromise. But on these secondary issues, catch this, it is more important that we love one another than that we are right on every issue. Are you with me? And this is huge. Let me say that it's more important to love one another even if they're wrong. than to be right and to fight. Are you with me here? And it's so clear, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul does some great teaching on this in 1 Corinthians and, and in Romans. But like in Romans, in the early church, one of the issues they fought about were, were things that often would separate uh, Jewish and Gentile believers. Like, so things like, what days should we celebrate? You know, what, what Jewish feast should we celebrate? As, as Gentile Christians, should we celebrate the old feast? Uh, what about Sabbath? Do we need to worship on Sabbath? Can we worship on other days? Uh, they would argue over food issues, kosher or non-kosher. Do we need to follow those laws or not? They would argue over uh, meat sacrifice to idols, right? Should we eat that or not? Is it, what do you think? And so there, these were some of the issues. And what Paul says is that there are rights and wrongs in these things. He said, but in these secondary issues, it's more important we love and accept one another that we're right on everything. And so on your note sheet, I just picked out an example of this in Romans 14 and 15, Paul's teaching this. And at the end of it, he says, we who are strong, and in context, he means who have it right. right? In context, he means we who are more mature, we understand our freedom in Christ, we understand we don't have to worship on certain days, it doesn't matter what we eat, go ahead and get the barbecue, the prime rib that was sacrificed. Uh, he says, we who are strong, he says, we ought to bear with the what? Failing. The failings of the weak. Hey, they're wrong on these issues. They don't get it yet. They come from this more conservative background and they're just more legalistic and they don't get it yet. They're failing, they're, they're wrong. He says, but as, as uh, mature Christ followers, we, we should be bigger than that. We should love them and accept them. And then he goes on, he says, not just to plead for ourselves, he says, so accept one another then as Christ accepted you. So stop and think of it. Like when you came to Jesus, how much did you really know? Right, we were probably like 2% truth and 98% error. Right, it's like we don't know a whole lot. And, and God doesn't say like, hey, well get back to me when you get it all squared away. He's like, hey, hey if you, you know me, you're ready to turn from your sin, you trust me for your salvation, Jesus, you're clear on Jesus and his death for you, great, we're good. We'll work on everything else over time. And God accepts us. He says in the body of Christ, when you meet someone you think is wrong on an issue, that's okay, just love them and accept them like God accepted you. Now, this is really important for us in Southern California. And this is where some of you are gonna get a little nervous. Because here's my experience, for, for Bible-believing Christians in Southern California, that when it comes to teaching on the second coming, that most of us have only heard one version. 
most Christians that I know have only been exposed to one particular perspective on the second coming. And it's not that it's necessarily wrong, it's just that, that if you stand back from church history, great, brilliant people disagree with almost every part of it. You see, so for example, the position that, uh, that you're probably familiar with, most of you are familiar with, uh, and this is where some of you will get nervous, uh, is that is in, in theology we call it dispensational, premillennial, pre-rapture, right? So, so if you've read Left Behind books, there it is. Right? There, there it is, right? If you listen to most Christian radio in Southern California, there it is. If you listen to Calvary Chapel teaching, there it is. Now, I'm, I'm not saying good, bad, or the otherwise. All I'm saying is, is that what happens is that we're, as, as a church of Jesus in general, say Southern California, in many parts of the country, we are exposed to very few views. And what happens is we tend to think they're the gospel. And so what happens is we hang out with someone's like, wait a second, you think we go through the tribulation? We, we hang out with someone like, you don't think there's a thousand year reign of Christ on earth? You think that's symbolic? We, run, we meet someone like that, we start like getting very nervous, like, are you even saved? And then we begin to fight one another. Well, here's all my verses that Christians go through the rapture. Well, here's all my verses that they don't. Well, here's all my verses about the millennium. You know, two of them. Uh, here's, you know, okay. Well, here's all my verses that say it's not. And we begin to do battle. And I want you to remember something. Jesus said on the night that he was arrested, he said, a new commandment I give to you. He said, this is gonna be the mark of the movement. He says, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you what? Love. You love one another. And so here's what happens. When we fight over secondary issues, all we are proving is that we are weaker brothers who don't understand what's most important in life. Are you with me in this? And so as we go into this, we're gonna spend two or three weeks on the second coming but honestly, my big, bigger passion for this is we're gonna talk about some of these things and you may agree or disagree and we won't talk about it at all. It's not this whole, we're not doing a whole series on the second coming, we're just kind of covering Mark's thing. But my bigger passion is that as a church we grow in this understanding between primary issues and secondary issues. Because catch this, the second coming of Jesus, the fact that it's happening is a, is a primary issue. Amen. When and how? is a secondary issue. And if you fight other brothers and sisters in Christ and divide over a secondary issue, all it shows is your spiritual immaturity. Are you with me? Okay. Some guy's going, nope, you're out of here. All right. <laughs> okay, number three. Number three is that we all tend to miss the point. And I don't care what position you, you hold, but we all do this. We all, we all tend to miss the point. When we come to teaching of, about second coming issues, we all tend to miss the point. And so, so the moment, like the moment that we begin to talk second coming, everyone wants to talk, okay, so when's it gonna happen and what are the signs? I mean, the moment it happens, right? I mean, every time there's a new war, there's a new book that comes out. Why, like, this is the last thing, right? I mean, think with me throughout, think, think throughout history the way we've speculated this as Christ followers. And often in ways it makes us look like idiots to the world out there. 
Uh, you know, I mean, let's just take one issue, like the Antichrist. Some of you know the name Martin Luther, not, not, the Martin, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, who had the, the Protestant Reformation. He was convinced the Antichrist was the Pope, right? That was his theory. Uh, you move in closer to time, you know, in World War II, how many believers believed the Antichrist was Hitler? He's going to overcome the world, he's in Europe, European nation, whatever, you know. And then it became Mussolini. And then closer to our time, it became the Ayatollah Khomeini. And then it became Henry Kissinger. <laughs> you know, you work out 666 and his name in Hebrew and you put it together. And, right? and then it became Saddam Hussein. And are you serious? The world out there is looking at us like a bunch of idiots. Because we have such a natural tendency to try to look at everything that happens and we just want to cram it into biblical prophecy and say, well, this means that. And here's what I want you to catch. We always want to focus on when is it going to happen and what are the signs? And what Jesus cares about is are you ready? And are you loving people in the meantime? Are you focused on what's most important? And you see it here in the disciples. You know, they, they've got this whole theory of end times, right? It's not like a Jesus, you know, crucified, ascend, come back 2,000 years. It's not that, because they didn't know that. But their theory was Messiah's going to come. There's going to be, he's going to unleash his power. There's going to be all these wars. And, and Messiah's going to come against him. And part of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And the temple's going to be destroyed. And the temple's going to be remade. They had all these theories. And so the moment Jesus starts talking about the destruction of the temple, in their mind, they're thinking, it's happening. And so what did they ask him? Two questions. When is this going to happen? And what are the signs? And it's really interesting because what Jesus says, he begins to bring them back to another priority. And there in your note sheet, you have this next section It's called the second coming, staying focused. And so I want to talk about this. What we're going to see Jesus saying is like, okay, guys, okay, let's talk about this. But he's going to start by saying, here's what you need to stay focused on. Here's your priority. And so let's set it up. So teacher, amazing buildings, yeah, they're all coming down. Later in the day, when's it going to happen? What's the signs? So now here Jesus comes to Jesus' answer. Chapter 13 and verse 5. We're going to look through the first half of his answer today. And so Jesus said to him, watch out that no one deceives you. He says, many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. Now remember, in their mind, this is all happening soon. Jesus is beginning to educate them this is not going to all happen soon. You don't tell someone, hey, many are going to come in my name and say they're me if you're there. Hey, just be, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, church, there's going to be people that come and they're going to claim to be Mike Yearly. <laughs> well, it doesn't really work so well if Mike's still around, right? So, so he's kind of, do you see what's happening? He's beginning to educate them. He's beginning to help him understand that he's going to be gone. He says, many are going to come, and they're going to, so he says, false messiahs are going to come. And, this, and Jesus' prediction has been fulfilled, for sure. 
uh, from the first century, from the time of his leaving till now, there have been many people that have claimed to be Messiahs, both in the, the Messiah, both in Christianity and in Judaism. So, so many Messiahs are going to come. You know, in, in 135 AD, that there was a, a very famous rebellion where the nation of Israel, they didn't learn their lesson the first time in 70 AD, they rebelled against Rome a second time. It's called the Bar Kokhba Rebellion. And Bar Kokhba claimed to be the Messiah. Okay, so, so Jesus said, hey, many are gonna come, and he says, this so he's beginning to help them understand that this thing's not gonna happen overnight. And he said, uh, in verse seven, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, and remember, their Old Testament mindset, hey, is when Messiah comes, there's gonna be wars, people against the Messiah, Jerusalem's administration, and when you hear wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. He says, don't overreact. Like, don't assume it's happening. <laughs> he says, such things must happen, but the end is still to come. He says, nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. This is happening all the time. It's happening in Syria right now. Right? It's happening in Afghanistan right now. You know, I've got a nephew that just left for Afghanistan. Uh, he's in, in the army, right? There's, just, there's always been wars in the human race. And Jesus says, hey, when you see wars, don't overreact. Like, this is just stuff. This is just human race. This goes on. It says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom makes kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places in the Old Testament. It often talks about at the end of times, there's signs in the heavens above, and there's earthquakes, and there's crazy cosmic things. He says, hey, there's gonna be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pangs. It's just, it's just the start of things. This is, you know, nothing like, you know, when you're, you're at home, some of you ladies have delivered, some of you just delivered recently, and you just had that first contraction, you say something's starting to happen here, but you know, it's like nothing big yet. It's just sort of you know that there's something going on. And so what, basically what Jesus is saying is don't overreact. And man, we do this, don't we? We have such a, I mean, one of the best ways to get a bestseller in the Christian community today is write a new book on how what's happening now is the end times. And you know what? When you've lived as long as I have, and that's now really beginning to, to mount up, um, I, I have seen this my whole life. And you know, and like when you're 20, it's like, oh, this is, look, I mean, it's all this thing, and they're and you're hearing Ezekiel, and hearing this, and hearing that, and, and, like, and this guy's over here, and this is over here, and the bear's gonna come there. And, then, and when you're 20 and you haven't lived very long, you say, this is it. And you get to my age, it's like, this has been it for so many times. <laughs> you're like, I, I don't think so. Right? And so what he's saying is like, don't overreact. There's going to be wars. Yes. There's going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes. How many times have I heard in my life, oh, there's a big earthquake over there. It must be happening. <laughs> like, no, there's going to be earthquakes. That's what happens on earth. It quakes. You know? It's just... <laughs> This is part of being the earth. So we call it an earthquake. All right, so, uh, <laughs> so it's just, don't overreact. Okay, so then what should we be doing if we're not overreacting? Well, we should be focusing on what's most important, and that's our assignment going into all the world, sharing the gospel for the sake of the world, tearing down walls. 
And so that's what Jesus begins to redirect him to. And he says in verse nine, he says, listen, you must be on guard. You're gonna be handed over to local councils and flogged in their synagogues. Now remember, they're expecting Messiah comes, rum gets kicked out, we win, kingdom of God. He's like, guys, I can be exactly like that. I'm gonna be gone and you're gonna be whipped and you're gonna be beaten and you're gonna be beaten by the Jewish nation, the people of the Messiah, right, in the synagogues. And of course, this all comes true in the book of Acts, right? I think of the apostle Paul, think of Peter and James being beaten by the Sanhedrin. Think about the apostle Paul being beaten by the Jews so many times. Jesus is beginning to say, hey, your theory of the end times is a little off. He says, in the catch, he says, on account of me, you're gonna stand before governors and kings as witnesses. Again, the book of Acts. Think of the apostle Paul before King Festus, before King Agrippa. The apostle Paul going to Rome to testify to Caesar. And he says, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. This thing's not happening overnight. That, he says, the message of, of my life, my death, my resurrection. Of course, at this point, they're not even, they don't even understand the gospel yet. He says, it's going to have to get out there. That's why I've come. He says, so whenever you're arrested and you're brought to trial, he says, don't worry beforehand about what you're going to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. It's not you speaking to the Holy Spirit. You're going to suffer, but I'm going to be with you, and the Holy Spirit's going to be with you. And when you're brought up, don't worry about it. Just, just trust in him and he'll speak through you powerfully and giving witness to me. He says, and it's gonna get really bad. He says, brother will betray brother to death. A father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm till the end will be saved. Amen. And so what, what's Jesus doing? He's kind of redirecting them. Hey, what's the sign of your coming? We know how this is going to work. You're going to come. You're going to kick out the Romans. All the world's going to come against you. It's going to be this big battle. We've read about this in the Old Testament. Cosmic signs. And what's going to be, what's going to be the sign is triggering? And, and when's it going to happen? And when's this destruction of the temple thing that's going to trigger this whole event? Just could you fill us in? And Jesus says, okay, listen, guys, don't be deceived. Um, I'm going to be gone for a while. And while I'm gone, um, false teachers are going to come up. False messiahs. There's going to be wars there's gonna be famines, there's gonna be earthquakes, don't overreact. He said, what you need to be focused on is sharing the message of the gospel. And he said, you need to be willing to pay whatever price, and it's not gonna be easy, it's gonna to be tough, you may lose your life. Just like I told you, you may have to take up your cross and follow me. You may have to die, but, but, but just trust in the power of the Holy Spirit and stay focused, because if you stay true to me to the end, you will be saved. Do you see how he redirects? He's redirecting their focus. And men and women, this is such an important message for us. Because we can do the same thing they do. And here's what I want you to catch. They had a very clear theory of the coming of the kingdom of God. And catch this, it was based on a ton of Bible verses and they were completely wrong. 
And you know what? The same thing can happen to us today. And when, when this topic comes up, you know, people have asked me, for, are you ever gonna do a series on Revelation? <laughs> and I've always said, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, make, I don't make that decision. I just kind of do what the next thing I'm told to do. So I don't, I don't really, I don't know. But here's what I said, you know, but if I did, it'd probably be grossly disappointing. Because <laughs> what you want to hear is all these specifics and what the, what the revelation is going to tell you is that Jesus is king and there's going to come a time when he comes in power and in the meantime, you need to be ready to die for him. Amen. And that's not what you think is going to happen when you do revelation. And about three chapters in, you're going to be going, oh, can we do something else? And this thing's got like too many chapters. This is going to be like that Mark series or whatever, you know. So, yeah. And so here's the thing. Here's what I'd say. As followers of Jesus, as we enter in this topic of the second coming, it's great to study, right? And as followers, we need to study it. We need to know the word of God and we need to learn from it. And it's great to come up with our theories. And it's great to come up with our opinions. And it's great to discuss those and just even disagree about that. And that's all great. But here's what I'd caution. Let's hold our opinions with a little bit of humility, realizing that over 2,000 years, the church has had a lot of opinions and they've basically all been wrong. Let's hold them lightly. Let's hold them with humility. And men and women, let's love one another even when we disagree on these issues. And most of all, let's keep the first things first. Amen. And that's Jesus is coming back. And we need to live this day in light of that day in the meaning we love one another because it's through our love that everyone will know that Jesus is who he claims to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for this time to be together and to study your word and, and to hear this amazing prophecy that you gave that within 40 years, this whole place was coming down. And then the follow-up instruction that we're beginning to look at. Now we'll look at in the coming weeks of, of here's some things for your future you need to know and how to prepare. And so Lord, we thank you for that. We pray as a church, we would be a place that is just rock solid on the primary things, in a place of grace, in the secondary things. That we would study your word, we'd love your word, we'd look for the best answers because we know it leads to life. But when we come across people in our life group or whatever that hold difference of opinion, we would realize that when we fight over secondary issues, we are only betraying our spiritual immaturity. And so we pray that we would stay focused on the big thing, you're coming back, we'd be living each day in light of that, and in the meantime, we would tear down the walls that have separated believers over these kinds of issues so that the world can see who you are and we can share the gospel. And Father, we pray as we bring our offerings, as we worship you now, that you would meet with us as we pursue you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together as we worship. And Lord, that's our prayer, that you would tear down these walls that have separated us from one another in the body of Christ, but also they've separated us from the world out there who often sees us fighting and bickering over secondary things. Not that they're not important, but... They see a church that's divided and not loving one another. And you so clearly said, by this all men will know. In fact, you said by this everyone will know that, you, that the Father sent you by the love and the unity we have. And so God, we pray as a church that we would be unified. 
that we would be a church that has maturity to love one another, be solid on the, the primary things, and the secondary thing, be willing to, to allow difference of opinion, be willing to let others even be wrong, that we realize it's more important to love one another than to be right on everything, that you accepted us before we had it all right, that we've all changed our opinions over the years on lots of things, and that just to give each other space for your work, your word and your spirit to work, for us to grow. And God, well, we would be a model of a church that's really loving one another and pursuing you. Other churches could learn from that. It's a model of love, a model of unity. And God, we pray that as such, then that the walls would be broken down with these non-Christian communities around us and that you would just bless us in the coming months and years with just many, many conversions the people that are coming because of the love that we have for one another. And, that, and that's something that cannot be argued against. It's not something to be swept under a carpet. As the early church said, behold how these Christians love one another. And we pray that we be that church. And so God, we pray that we would be a church that lives each day in light of that day. That we'd live intentional lives. Living lives by design and not by default. Living in the light of your coming. And we love one another. We would not argue over the, the, small, the smaller things. We would unite, unite in the big thing. That you are coming back. You're going to turn all wrongs to right. We need to be living and prepared for that day. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, uh, great being with you tonight. Uh, several things as we go. Just remember, again, life group signups are happening on the patio. So if you need to go, go head out there. Secondly, if you want some prayer. Uh, for anything after all of our services, we always have a ministry called the Prayer Corner. It meets right down here to my right. And some people would love to pray with you, whatever your need is. Uh, and then next week, I hope you can come back because we're going to continue to talk about what does it look to live, like, uh, live this life in light of the next life. We're going to look at some other teaching of Jesus from one of the other Gospels where he takes this teaching of, uh, that he's given today and builds on it. And then we're going to come back and kind of finish up this passage in the following week. So hope you can be with us next week as we continue this journey together. Until then, uh, may you be living in light of the second coming of Jesus. Amen? Uh, may you be a people that are locked on to the reality of that day. May we truly be living our lives this day in light of that day. May we be growing in church as a church that loves one another that gives freedom for disagreement on secondary issues, that stands firm on the things that are most important, and that we would be a church that understands it's more important to love one another on these secondary issues than be right on every issue. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.